listening to New Life the Fort, where the person of Jesus Christ and His love for you are shared. How many of you have been living the reality of Christ? People aren't quite sure. I don't know. How many of you received healing this week? How many of you received provision this week? Well, the reality of Christ is this. You're not missing anything. Things that are broken are now fixed. You are complete and whole in every way. So let me ask the question again. How many of you have received the reality of Jesus Christ and have lived it out this week? All of us should. Every believer has the reality of Jesus on the inside of them. And Pastor Alvin and I are going to endeavor to continue on the reality. What frames your reality? What causes you to think and believe the way you believe? And I want us to go jump right into the word in John 4. All right, let's go to John 4. And let's pray before we go. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that your presence is in this place. May each and every person be more aware of you than our own inadequacies and our own failures. May we see your perfection, behold your beauty, and as the word is preached, may every heart be ready to receive. As your spirit writes upon our heart things that are eternal, things that are permanent, things that will cause transformation and change in our life, we just thank you that you are the one on the move. You are the one speaking you are the one doing. And you cause us to see and hear everything that you're doing because you want us to be a participant in it. So we just thank you for how you're going to move today in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to be expectant. Okay? Don't expect from me. Expect from God. Because the more you expect from him, the more you'll pull out of me what he has in store for you. And I believe that God can speak to one person and he, and he can speak to every single one differently, specifically. Amen. Now, in John 4, this is a very familiar story. This is a story of the Samaritan woman. And so we're going to go actually read through quite a bit of it today. But we're going to see how reality is changed in the pre- presence of Jesus. John 4, 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So Jesus would go to Galilee quite a bit. And then it goes on to say that he, he had need to go to Samaria. He knew he had to go to Samaria. Now, Jesus had done this, this route quite a bit. But on this particular day, Jesus had a need on the inside of him to go to, to Samaria. Now, the history of this is that Jews and Samaritans did not have any dealings with one another. They didn't like one another. Okay? In fact, the Jews considered the Samaritans unclean. Because they were a mixed people. Jews that decided to mix with Gentiles, and then you had Samaritans as the birth of it. But he said he needed to go through Samaria. So there was something that Jesus needed to do in Samaria. That's why there was such an unction. In verse 5, it says, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob, Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, it's a very far walk, all right? They walked to to Samaria. 
And in the heat of the day, by the time you get there, you just probably want to collapse. Now, Jesus sat down by the well. Now, the fact of the matter is that Jesus was tired. Would you agree? The Bible says that he was wearied. So the facts were that Jesus was tired because of a long walk in the heat of the day. Do you know that facts can change? Facts and truth are not the same thing. Facts are temporary situations or temporary experiences that can change when something new comes. Fact, Jesus was tired and he was thirsty. If Jesus had a drink, the fact changed. He was no longer thirsty. And the fact that he sat down means he was resting. So he wasn't tired. So the fact changed. But when truth comes in, truth never changes. It's the same. No matter what goes on around, truth will remain the same. And we'll see that as we, go, as we continue to read. So then it says in verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now I love the fact, the fact, that she was stating the obvious. Fact one, Jesus is a Jew. Fact two, she was a woman. And not just any woman. Fact three, she was a Samaritan. And then fact four, Jesus was talking to her. Not just talking, he asked something from her. I mean, if I were her, I'd be like, are you talking to me? We, we don't really talk. We're not supposed to talk. Fact, because Jews never had any dealings with Samaritans. But the facts were about to change. Jesus came into, that, into Samaria to change the facts so that she could stand on the truth and not be limited by the things that were going on in the natural. Because she already limited herself by saying she was a woman and that she was a Samaritan. That was a big deal. Men were not supposed to talk to women alone. And then he, she was a Samaritan. Oh, major no-no in that time. He goes on to say, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I love this because Jesus is already changing a fact to a truth. He says, if you had known the gift of God, what do you do with a gift? You're supposed to receive and open. A lot of times we just get stuck with the packaging. We don't even bother to open and see what's inside. We just look at it and go, oh, it looks like a great gift. But God doesn't want us to be stuck with the packaging. He wants us to look at the gift, open it up, and enjoy what's inside. And so he was already doing that with her. He was saying, open up the gift. Don't, don't worry about what's on the outside. Don't worry about me being a Jew and you being a woman and a Samaritan. There's a gift here for you. I've come for you. 
And then he goes on to say, and the woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Fact. Jesus didn't have a water pot. And the well is deep. Another fact. How do you intend to get this water if you don't have a water pot? Where then do you get that living water? Now, do you think the woman had come to that well often? Yes. But I don't think she ever, she's ever heard of the water in that well referred to as living. So this was something new. And even if she was stating the fact that he didn't have a water pot and the well was deep, she was still wondering what he was talking about about this living water. So Jesus was saying, your reality is not this well. Because this well will run dry. Didn't Jesus sit beside the well? There were two wells there. One that would eventually run dry and one that flowed with life. Jesus was the water that would never run dry. Living water that would flow. Then it goes on to say, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his his sons and his livestock? Now she's trying to go back to history. She's trying now to put a foundation to her facts and to what she believes. Because Jesus is now beginning to shake what she's thinking and what she's believed for so long. What is this living water? And then he goes, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Fact. You drink of this water in the well, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to have to keep on coming back to get more and more water. But this water will never satisfy because you'll continue to be thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. See, Jesus is saying if you draw from him, if you drink from him, you're never going to thirst again. Now, in the natural, our bodies need water. You know, Jesus is not saying never have another drink of water in the, in the, for the rest of your life. He wants you to drink water. But our satisfaction doesn't come from water. You know that without him giving us the water, we wouldn't have any. Naturally. Oh, yeah, but it's my money that pays for it. Who gives you the strength, the strength to work? Jesus. So he's saying here that he basically gives you life. He has everything you need. And it goes on to say, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Again, she's still so focused on what's happening externally, but she already knows there's a change happening inside. There's a curiosity that's now come alive on the inside of her. There's more to life than this? If there is, show me. I want more. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. I love that Jesus said, 
go call your husband. So he's actually speaking of one. And the, and the woman said, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus goes, that's true, because you've had five. And so what is Jesus saying? You're looking at one. I already know that you've had five. So actually, he could have said, go get me your husband's. But what was he doing? He wasn't there to shame her, but he was showing her that the five husbands that she's known and the one that she's living with also will not satisfy her and does not determine who she is. Because in that time, if a woman was unwed or if a woman was a widow or if you know, she had had lots of husbands, it was a big deal. Society shunned these women. And then the fact that the five were nowhere to be found, and then she probably decided since those five didn't, didn't last, husbands, I might as well not get married anymore. So I'll just live with this one. Trying to find a satisfaction, trying to find an acceptance, being with this man. Six men in her life. But when the seventh came, he showed her he was the only one she needed. She was, he was the only one she would ever need. Because he would be the one that would never leave her. He would be the one that would never forsake her. He would be the one that would never shame her. He would be the one that would take care of her, provide for her, protect her. Jesus. Because in those other relationships, there was always death. They were always temporary. But Jesus said, what I'm giving you is everlasting. Because I am everlasting. I am eternal. So then the woman says to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She's quick, huh? I mean, if somebody just told you you had five husbands and the one that you're living with right now is not your husband, and you know he's a Jew who has no dealings with you, and probably doesn't get the latest gossip from your town. Knows this. You have to know that God is the one who's revealing it. And he didn't do it to say, woman, you're not worth my time. Or you're insignificant. No, God was showing her how significant she was. That Jesus was brought out of his way just for her. And then she goes on to say, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews. Now, from verse 23 to 26, I want to read it from the Amplified. It says, a time will come. However, indeed, it is already here. Say that with me. It's already here. When the true, genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these as his worshipers. God is a spirit, a spiritual being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, reality. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, the anointed one. And when he arrives, he will tell us everything we need to know and make it clear to us. Jesus said to her, I who now speak with you am he. Can you imagine that? Here she is saying, yes, we're expecting the Messiah to come. And when he comes, he's going to show us all these things. He's going to clear things up. And then Jesus goes, here I am. I'm the reality of what you're believing for. I stand here today so that I can show you what you're believing shall come to pass now. I love that we had read earlier that it's already here. He's already here for you. Right now, he's here for you. Jesus is not hiding. He's here saying, I'm here. I am he that made those promises to you. I am he that will heal you. Actually, I'm the one who already healed you. I'm the one who already provided for you. I'm the one who already delivered you. I'm the one who already gave you peace. I'm the one who completes you. I'm the one who makes you whole. I'm the one who fixes you. He's here. Do you think that woman stayed there? She didn't stay. After Jesus reveals who he is, in verse... Where is it? In verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. Let me skip. And let's go straight to verse 39. It says, and many of the Samaritans that si- in, of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Your testimony is powerful. Your testimony has the ability to, pu- to kind of push people into the direction of Christ so that they can come and get to know him the way you do. It's not a shove. It's actually a gentle prodding. Come on. Let me tell you, if he can tell me who I am, he can tell you who you are. Then it goes on to say, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Imagine that. The Jews stayed there in that Samaritan town for two more days. Jesus didn't care about what the world was saying is taboo. Or you can do this, you can do that. He was more concerned about the heart of the people than he was about the outward regulations and rules. And he stayed there. And as he stayed there with them, it says, and many more believed because of his own word. Jesus Jesus didn't stay silent for two days. He spoke for two days. He continued to speak and share. And not just tell people what they've done, but I believe tell them who they were because they had now seen who he is. 
Then it goes on to say, and then they said, these are the, t- the, the people from the town, they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. It's not enough for you to see and hear. God doesn't, isn't satisfied with you just seeing and hearing. He wants you to know. And that knowledge is one of intimacy, something that's personal. He wants you to know for yourself. They had to discover for themselves that he is indeed the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus. In 1 John 1, 1 to 3, John was saying this about our testimonies. It says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, you have John here saying, we didn't just see, we didn't just hear him, we experienced him. We knew him. See, Jesus wants our reality to be one of intimacy with him. Because when you're intimate and you have a personal knowledge of someone, fruit is born. Something is produced. I mean, naturally, when a couple is intimate with one another, a child is born or becomes a fruit. Now, they don't have to go into the details because you know that already. But if, that's, if that happens in the natural, in something that's temporary, imagine what intimacy in the spirit with an everlasting eternal being is like. Whatever is produced in that union will go on forever. You are meant to be strong forever. You are meant to be healed forever. You are meant to be provided for forever. How do I know that? Well, God's will is that everything in heaven... It's what we experience on the earth. There is no sickness. There is no disease. There is no poverty. There is no lack in heaven. And that is supposed to be our reality here on the earth. Because Jesus made sure that he was present there and here for us. In John 1, 117, the Bible says that the, the law came to Moses by Moses, was given to Moses. But grace and truth came By Jesus Christ. You know that word truth is reality. It's what's real. See, you and I are looking for real things. If you had a choice between something fake and something real, had a choice, huh? You could actually have the real thing. What would you choose, the fake or the real? Would you go for triple A or the real? If you had a choice, you would want the real. 
And Jesus doesn't want us to settle for fakes or counterfeits. That's why he came and gave us himself, the real deal. So when grace and truth came, this is what happened. The reality of heaven came down to the earth so it could be our reality. And we found that in Christ. Christ is our reality. In Colossians 3, 3 to 4 in the Message Bible, it says your old life is dead. Say, my old life is dead. You're not even the same person you were yesterday. But I feel like I'm the same person. You're not. In fact, I'll tell you another secret. You're not even the same person you were a minute ago. You've already been changed. Something's been added to you. God's putting more of himself, more of the reality of who he is in your knowledge so that you can live that out. God cannot put any more of himself in you because he's already given you all that he is. But we just need more knowledge of who he is. We need more intimacy with him so that we can walk that out. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. I love that because it says invisible to spectators. We're not spectators. We're participants. And believers know when something is real. When they come in contact with another believer, there's something alive, and it just seems to connect with the other person, even if they don't say anything. And then when you find out they're a believer... You're like, oh, that makes sense now. Why? What happened? Deep called on to deep. Spirit called to spirit. Something that's alive spoke to something that's alive. And the reason the world looks at it and they're just spectators is because they can't see it. They haven't experienced it. But the more they look, the more they want. And then they come to you and say, what is it that you have? Gives you opportunity to speak. These people are no longer wanting to spectate. They want to participate. They want what you have. And we freely give what we've freely received. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you. The glorious you. Glorious. I love how it says glorious because you and I move from one level of glory to the next level of glory to the next level of glory. That's how it works. But do you know how that happens? By what we believe. Faith. Faith makes that happen. Faith leads us to faith. From faith to faith to faith to faith. But as we walk in faith, we end up walking in glory because faith leads us to glory. We go one level of glory, and when we're in that level, we go, there's got to be more. You believe God for more. You step up into a new level of glory. There's got to be more than this. And then another one. You're not satisfied where you are because you know that God has so much more. Faith. How does faith come? How does our believing begin to Uh, uh, paint the picture of what's real to us. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. That is hearing the good news 
about Christ. You want your faith to come alive? Hear about Christ. The more you hear about Christ, the more you begin to live out Christ. You begin to live out being healthy and whole. You know what? It may not happen right away. But you find find yourself not being as sick as often. Having a cold used to last a week, and now it only lasts two days. What's happening? Glory to glory to glory. I remember a preacher saying this. He had never been sick. When, he found, when Jesus found him, he had never been sick until one day. He decided he was so hungry, he went into his pantry and found a can of Vienna sausages. But the Holy Spirit, remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how the Holy Spirit can speak to you. It was a red light on the inside. Big flashing red light. Don't eat it. But you know, sometimes the flesh begins to scream louder. I'm hungry. So he decides to eat it and ends up in the hospital. Because that can of Vienna sausage was 20 years old. Praise God he didn't die. That's the the mercy of God right there. All right? But he goes, from that point on, he was never sick again. But he goes, he's really going to be listening to the Holy Spirit this time. Can you imagine? Just because of, of a can of Vienna sausages. Now, if you happen to have a craving for Vienna sausages, please check out the expiration date. And then go ahead and eat. If there's no red light, go ahead and eat. Red light, do not touch. Okay? We go with it's green. And if there's yellow, with caution. Sharing a story about food poisoning. All right. And we'll get back to the word. Because I was thinking about Jesse Duplantis, and then this happened to me, actually. We were at a friend's house for a Bible study, and then after the Bible study, we were eating. And so she had this wonderful um, bilao of pancit, okay? So I had my first plate, small plate, okay? And I was starving. I was like, okay, I'm going to go for another one. As soon as I got there, red light, and I'm like, but I'm hungry. I go, Lord, is this you or is this me? Are you telling me not to do this? No, I just, and then after a while, you're just like, yeah, I'm just really hungry, so I ate. Well... The muscle that I ate gave me food poisoning for four days. Almost immediately, I got sick, and it was horrible. So trust the red light. When he says, don't, don't, it's not that he's trying to be a killjoy, a KJ. He's there to protect you because he doesn't want you to end up in the hospital, nor does he want you to end up dead. He's always a spirit that leads to life. Amen. So back to faith. So faith comes by hearing and hearing more about Jesus. Now, what does faith, what is faith, actually? In Hebrews 11.1, Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is. I love how it begins that way. Now faith is. Then it goes on to say, the substance It's not something that you can't hold. Faith has a substance. It's tangible. The substance of things hoped for. What are you hoping for? 
What are you seeing? See, the more you see the word, the more you see Jesus, the more you see a glorious future, the more you hope for it, and the more it becomes a substance that you can grab hold of. And it goes, the evidence. It's evidence of things not seen. There's an evidence. You can see it, you can touch it, and you can testify about it. Now faith is. And then it goes on to say, for by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. I love that. It says that the worlds were framed. That word worlds there are eons, times, and seasons. God has set aside times and seasons for you. He has framed them by his word. He goes, in next year is going to be the most glorious year of your life. How do we know that? The word says so. That our days get brighter and brighter and brighter until a perfect day. So every day we can expect it to get better and better. Christmas, this should be the best Christmas thus far. Oh, but pastor, you say that every year. Of course we do because it has to be better. I can't look back and say, oh, those were my glory days. No, my glory days are ahead of me. I'm walking into those glory days. You and I are walking into into those glory days. And it says we're framed. I love that word framed. When you look at that word framed, I always think of a picture. What does a picture frame do? What's it supposed to do? A picture frame creates a focal point. It causes you not to look at the frame, but see what's in it. It draws your attention to the picture that's being shown. Because all around you, there's all this stuff. But when you see the frame, your eyes are drawn to it. And you're like, what is that? And you begin to look. And you begin to behold. You begin to look at the big picture and then every little detail. And it says that, The worlds were framed by the word of God. Another definition of framed. You know, when you build a building or any any structure, of course, it begins with a foundation, but you need to build a frame. A frame goes up before the walls come up. Why? Because the frame will tell the walls where it's supposed to go. And when you look at a frame before a house is built, you can actually walk into that house and say, wow, This is where my bedroom's going to be. Oh, this is where my kitchen is going to be. Oh, look at that. Look at my living room. What's happening? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence. You now have evidence that God is building your house. He doesn't want you just to look at it and just look at the frame. He's not done yet. He'll put the walls, he'll put the flooring, he'll paint it, he'll put the roof on. Why? So that you can go inside and live in it. So you have this structure being built. Another definition of frame is a skeleton. We all have skeletons here. How do I know? Because not one of us is a worm. You may feel like a worm, but I'm here to tell you you're not. You're a beloved son or daughter of God. And maybe to us, the untrained eye, when we look at a skeleton, they all look the same. But to doctors, they see the difference in the bone structure of a skeleton. 
I don't know if you've ever watched forensic shows or even CSI for that matter. You know how they'll take the, the, the head, the skull, and then they'll begin to put like these black, uh, these kind of, it's like clay or blue tack or something around. And then they begin to put like clay all around it. And you're looking at it and they're like, how are they going to get what the face of this person looks like? But it's amazing. As they begin to form it, it's such a unique piece of bone. Because I'm pretty sure that I would not be able to mold it the way the person looks. They've never seen the picture of the person, but as they begin to mold, it begins to take on the shape of what this person must have looked like. And when you see a picture, it's not all that far. But that all came from a frame, from a skeleton. See, the word of God is that skeleton for us. It creates the blueprints for us to be able to see what God has. And the more we see it, the more we'll walk in it. And God wants us to walk in it. He doesn't want us just to see it on paper. God wants us to experience it on our own. And say, you know what God said? If he said it, he'll do it. He'll make it come to pass. That's not our part. Our part is only to believe. It's easier said than done. But that's why we labor to enter his rest. We labor to rest and believe him for what he already said he would do. Because in and of our strength, we don't, in, in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength or the power to make all those promises come to pass. We'll get frustrated. We'll get tired. But God goes, I'm doing it. Rest. Let me be the one to take care of you. Amen. In Colossians 2, 6 to 10, and I'll end very soon. Colossians 6, uh, t- 2, 6 to 10, Message Bible. God wants us to live life. He wants us to live in that home that he's created. It says, go, just go ahead with what you've been given. I like that. You didn't work for it. You just received it. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. The word doesn't say live in him. The word says live him. There's a difference. Living in him means you're living in a structure. Living him out means that you are one with him. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave his life for me. It's Galatians 2.20. It says, now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. Jesus is not a subject or a concept matter. He's a person to live with, in relationship with, and to live out of. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Then there's a warning. It says, watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. 
They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. That's not the way of Christ. What's the warning? The warning is simply this. Be careful what you're listening to. What are you hearing? Because what you're hearing will shape your believing and your believing will shape your reality. If you're listening to empty words, that's all you're going to have in your reality. Things that are empty. If you've been told all your life you will amount to nothing, that you're going to be poor for the rest of your life because that's your, your, father's were, your father was like that and your grandfather was like that. The more you listen to that, the more you'll believe it and that's what you'll walk out. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus already became poor so that you would be made rich. He is the one who qualified you. He's the one that took you out of the miry clay and made you acceptable before him, even before you knew you needed him. That's how much he loved you. So we don't listen to these empty words. Everything of God gets expressed in him. How many of you want everything of God? Do you know that you already have it in Christ? You have everything of God already available to you in Christ. It says, so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope. Come on, people. It's actually a horror scope. Because you know what? When you read those things, you're like, oh, my gosh, if I don't do this, my day is going to end up like this. Oh, please. Empty words. I'm not going to let that define my life. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ. I love that because a telescope is something that you see far away. A microscope is something that you see up close. And a horoscope just deals with everything else. And God goes, whether it's far away, close to you, or whatever else is going around you, you don't need it. You just need me. To realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. The very fullness of Christ comes together for you, for you, for you, for each and every one of us. The fullness of Christ comes together for us. His power extends over everything. You know what's so amazing is that when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter the reality of who he is, then there is nothing that will stand in your way. You can believe the most impossible dreams. To dream the impossible dream. I won't sing right now. But you can dream the impossible dream. Why? Because the Bible says that with him, all things are possible. With him. And he loved you so much that he wanted to be with you for all eternity. He joined himself to you. And you can never be separated from him ever again. You can't, nobody can come and try to rip you out. Jesus has a firm hold on you and he will never let you go. So when you encounter the reality of who Jesus is, all that he is will become the reality that you live. 
Because he can't do anything else but that. He can't give you any more than himself. Because when, you, when he gives you himself, he gives you everything. He doesn't hold back. He, you know what? When, when Bar, blind Bartimaeus saw him, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, that's a blank check. And that's when Jesus walked on the earth. He wasn't even his glorified state yet. And Jesus asks you today, what can I do for you? You have the one who is unlimited. He's yours. He's free and he's available. What do you want him to do for you? Let the reality of who he is begin to manifest in your life on a daily basis. You know what it is? You and I need to be more aware of his presence, of who he is, not his presence, his gifts. We need to be more aware of who he is because the more aware we are of him, the more we'll live him out. And every step we take, our presence additions and exponential increase coming our way because we see who he is. And let me end with this. Colossians 1, 15 to 20 in the Message Bible. It says, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. What he did in the beginning, he's still holding on now. And he's going to make sure that it's completed And when it comes to the church, say, that's me. He organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. I love that. Because sometimes we feel, oh, Sayang, my brother got the car that I've been believing for. Do you think God is so small he doesn't have one for you? Or if everybody in this front row got a car, you think that God doesn't have enough for the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth row? All the way to the back? I didn't forget about you. There's so much, and it says, without crowding. That means every single one of us can have every dream fulfilled, and there's still more room. God doesn't run out. It says not only that. I love that. There's always so much more with God. But all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. 
I love that. When God fixes something, it's better than brand new. It's as, it's as if no one's ever seen something so glorious or so beautiful. And that's what he's doing. Some of you may have come here with a broken heart. Something broke in your soul. God is fixing that right now. He's making your soul whole, your mind, your will, your emotions. He's making that whole right now in the name of Jesus. Some of you have been battling symptom after symptom after symptom in your body. It feels like it's never going to end. Christ is the healer and the healing that you need. And you already have him. So your body in the name of Jesus must come in line with that reality. It may be fact that's what you're feeling, but the truth of the matter is you are already healed in Christ. I'm not angry at you. I don't like sickness and disease. It makes me angry. You may be tired and weary, still an issue of the soul, but we began the service with strength. Strength. We end with strength. You know why? It says all because of his death. His blood that poured down from the cross. He made sure that you would have everything by giving his life for you. But he didn't stay there. He rose again to life so that he could get to you what he's given you. He's the one who will make sure you get it. As you continue to keep your eyes on Jesus. I believe things have already begun to change. New frameworks have become, have become alive in your mind. Creating what God has already seen beforehand for you to walk in. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for a desire to know more of you. For each and every person here, including myself, I don't want to be satisfied with what I know of you. I want to know you ever more personally and intimately. Because as I do, I understand who you are and the reality in which I live. My situations and circumstances will not be dictated, will not dictate my life anymore. You have already said where I'm going and I'll follow what you say. And I'll go where you go and I'll do what you do. I pray for the men and women and children in this house. And I speak heaven's reality over you today. The fullness of Christ in every way. Spirit, soul, and body. Nothing missing, nothing broken in Jesus' name. Having an abundance for everything that comes our way. You have made available that to us. And so I thank you that in the days to come, you will demonstrate, you will manifest your presence in the lives of the people. And all that they need and more will come out of that fellowship and relationship and intimacy with you. I thank you, Father.
I thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Can I ask that everybody just keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed? I'd like to give an invitation to the people that have never received Jesus into your life. You may, you may be here for the first time. You may have been coming for a while now, and you, you keep on hearing. See, something's happening on the inside of you as you hear the word. There's a believing that's growing and a desire to know who he is. Who is this Jesus that fixes everything, that restores my soul, that gives me strength when I'm weak, that heals my body. This is a Jesus that wants to be known to you and by you. He is the only one that can fix your life because he is life itself. And when you have him, like I said, it may not be automatic. You may not see everything in the natural, but the more you know him, the more you find your life getting better and better and better. So if you are here today and you've never received Jesus into your heart, we're going to pray with you. All of the congregation is going to pray with you. I'd like you just to follow after me as I pray. Because the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess or declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What's that salvation? Wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. Preserved and healed and restored everything of Christ you get to partake of. So congregation, let's pray along with those people that want to pray. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. Today, I realized how much I need you. I ask that you come into my heart today. And as you do, my life will never be the same. You have become my life. And now I can expect the greatest days of my life to unfold before me. Holy Spirit, cause me to understand and reveal more of Jesus, who he is, to me daily. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at newlifethefort.com.